0: Our sermon passage today is Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. This is a uh, Passover, a Palm Sunday passage about Jesus' triumphal entry. We're going to read it together, and I'm just going to expound a couple of points from it. uh, Pretty straightforward this morning. I don't know if it's occurred to you, but I think that we are living through times that will be recorded in great detail in history books, and that our grandchildren, great-grandchildren will uh, be studying the events that we're living through right now. I can remember some school assignments where I was to go to my grandparents and sort of interview them about their experiences and great historical events uh, from before my time. Tom mentioned some of these events, you know, the, the Great Depression, World War II, the day when Kennedy was shot, uh, all those things, are things that I studied in school, I didn't live through those. Uh, for me, it'll be. I always knew that 9/11 would be one of those events that uh, my grandkids, and if I'm so blessed, great grandkids may come and interview me for for a school project. And I've told my kids that their grandkids will likely come and ask them about the year 2020 and the pandemic and all the associated things related to that. By that time, they'll probably just download the, their grandparents' consciousness from the cloud or something, and they won't have to interview them. I don't know how that's going to work, but. Today, we remember one such historic event. Uh, This was an event where everybody who was involved would probably tell the stories of it for the rest of their lives to their children and their grandchildren. It's the event when Jesus entered Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey. At first blush, that doesn't seem like this big deal, but it was a big deal. It, It was important. It continues to be important. By reminding ourselves of this, by reading this passage again this year, it will remind us about who Jesus is, which will therefore remind us who we are in relation to him. And so let's just begin by reading it. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And we'll look at this in three sections, assignment, fulfillment, and arrival. That's how we'll organize our thoughts here. First, the assignment. Jesus gives two disciples this really strange assignment as they're approaching Jerusalem. That's in verses 1 through 3. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, in verse 1, and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. What did he want the two disciples to do? He sent them on ahead. Verse 2, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. What does Jesus want with these animals? What is going on here? Now, you probably know, surveying the crowd here, you guys are probably somewhat familiar with what's going on here. You know that this has to do with the Passover. This was a time when many, many people were flocking to Jerusalem for the Passover um, to celebrate the events of the Exodus and God passing over when he killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. You know that Jerusalem, uh, normally, you may not know the numbers, but normally they were according to my research this week, a city of about 30,000 people. But this time of year, it swelled to be more like 180,000 people. So this a huge influx of people into Jerusalem. So on a busy day at Aldi and Mint Hill, maybe there might be 30 people in there at once, 30 customers. Imagine that swelling to 180 people in there at once. Like that's scaled up to the, to the size of Jerusalem, what was gathering, what was happening in Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples and a huge crowd that had accumulated around him were all moving toward Jerusalem with everyone else. That's what's going on, and he gives this assignment. There's a donkey and a colt, uh, a little, like a young male donkey, less than four years old. I want you to go and get those. And then verse 3, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. I always thought growing up hearing this story that this was almost like a Jedi mind trick sort of thing. If anybody sees you taking this donkey and this colt, you just say, the Lord needs them, and they will say, please take them. And maybe it was just the supernatural power of Jesus Christ making that so. Maybe he arranged it ahead of time. Uh, There's reason to believe he knew people in this town. Whatever, however that worked, it's not really the point of the passage. The point of the passage comes as we read on into verse 4. So that was the assignment. Go and get these animals. First time you've ever read it, you've got question marks. What's going on here? Now the second part of our passage, fulfillment. Verses 4 and 5 explains. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, that's the passage that Julia read earlier from the prophet Zechariah. Generations earlier, all these prophecies were accumulating throughout the history of Israel recorded in the Old Testament. And Jesus, throughout the book of Matthew, has been fulfilling them left and right. That is Matthew's big idea. Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies. And these were not just aimless prophecies about stuff that would happen in the future. These were very specific prophecies pointing ahead to a figure known as the Messiah. One day, a savior king is going to come, and he is going to put all wrongs to right, and he is going to lead not just Israel, but he is going to lead a people from all the nations. He's going to lead even the Gentiles. And so here again, Jesus is fulfilling one of those prophecies. In this case, it has to do with riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, what I think we're meant to note heading into this is this is all very deliberate, on Jesus's part this was not an accident or just a spontaneous idea hey there's a donkey I'm tired I'll hop on that he prearranged this with these two disciples he had probably walked about a hundred miles if you take into account his whole journey toward Jerusalem that's been recorded ahead of time now all of that on foot and now he's about one or two miles away from his destination and now he arranges for transportation it's the only time that he's recorded his riding on an animal in the Gospels. Everyone else in, the, in his entourage and this huge crowd around him would have been on foot. So he would have stood out, and he sent ahead to make it happen. Why? He tells us very plainly why in those verses I just read. He is fulfilling prophecy, and he's doing it fully aware that he's doing it, and he's doing it publicly, openly now. For everyone to see, he is fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior King. At some point, I grew fond of referring to him that way, the long-awaited Savior King, because I feel like that captures so much of who he is and who he was at this time in history. In my notes, I just have it as Lask, L-A-S-K, because I think of him that way so much now, the long-awaited Savior King, and here he is. It's hard for us to understand the national expectation and anticipation of this long-awaited Savior King, the Messiah. We don't really have a parallel, just as Americans or just as people in this world. We do as Christians because we're looking forward to his return, but otherwise there is no real parallel in this world. It's sort of the anticipation and expectation you had as a kid for Santa Claus to come on Christmas Eve. Plus, the more grown up expectation and anticipation when someone that you really have high hopes for gets elected into office, into the presidency. But it's beyond any of that because this was going to be perfect. And we all know that those things, as much as we hope in them, are not going to be perfect. And this is going to be permanent. And we all know, even with our, our greatest hopes for who's going to be the president of America, we all know. As close to perfect as we hope they may be, they're only going to be four or eight years. This was going to be the perfect, permanent leader of God's people. They, this was huge. Maybe this is him. They knew that this king would come, and he would be righteous, and he would bring salvation. They were expecting a military conqueror type of king. And for good reason. There's prophecies that talk in that way. But Jesus here is subverting all those expectations, and instead he is landing hard on this prophecy in Zechariah. Instead of riding in on a white war horse, he's riding in on a humble little donkey. Do you guys remember the movie Braveheart? That was a big deal back in the 90s when I was a, a teenager. Braveheart, great epic, epic movie. If you can picture it, uh, I almost said Bruce Willis, not Bruce Willis, Mel Gibson, with his blue face paint on, charging into battle, leading his troops, uh, you know, riding along and stirring up his troops. On what? On a horse. Can you imagine if that scene was shot with him on a donkey? On a little like baby donkey? How that would suck some of the grandeur out of it. How that would change the whole tone of it. Here he is not riding in... Mel Gibson with blue face paint, warrior on a war horse. He's riding in on a a donkey. This is part of the subversion that Jesus has been bringing about already. Just a few passages before this, his disciples were trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest. And he said, greatness is servitude. The one that's the greatest among you is the one that goes the lowest in service. that's not the way anybody else thought or continues to think. And then we know where he's headed. He is going to bring about a great victory as the Savior King, but he's going to bring it about through his own willing death for his people, not by slaughtering all of his enemies. So here Jesus is. He's humble. Now, that does not mean that he is weak. It means that he is meek. And I'll never forget the Sunday school lesson where I learned what meekness meant. It means power under control. It's not weakness. It's different. And the reason I won't forget the Sunday school lesson was because around that same time, my mom, for some reason, and I actually have completely forgotten about this until I thought to use it as an illustration in this sermon, she got me horseback riding lessons. I don't know. I mean, looking back on it now, that seems like the most random thing in the world. I don't recall ever saying I'd like to ride a horse. And as a, as a little kid, I was like a little kid. I was a scrawny, short. Tiny little kid, and this was the stage of life that she got me horseback riding lessons. And it wasn't—they didn't put me on a full of a donkey, a tiny little horse. They put me on a full-fledged, massive, giant horse. Have, have you stood beside a horse? They are huge, and they're just muscle—just huge muscular animal. And so they picked me up and plopped me on top of it, and it was terrifying. But over the course of, I think, two lessons, I started to learn, okay, even though this horse could absolutely do anything it wanted to do with me, it may not even realize I'm on it. I was so light. But with that bridle, I could supposedly control the direction of that horse. Really, it was whoever the trainer was walking beside it. But then that Sunday school lesson, that was the comparison they drew. You know, a horse is really nothing but raw physical power, but... A trained horse has that power under control, and they're actually quite mild and quite gentle and meek, and that's more what this king is riding in. He is all-powerful, no one more powerful than Jesus Christ, and yet he comes in in incredible humility and incredible meekness. Power under control. Now, up to now, Jesus has kind of, hamped down people, getting too excited about him as the Messiah. You might remember from other Gospels, times when he, for example, would heal a leper, and he told the leper, just don't go telling everybody about this. You just go and go through the process of being declared clean, but don't go broadcasting it. But now it's wide open. He is entering, fulfilling a prophecy that he knew these fellow Jews would recognize, and he is signaling to them, The time is now, the king has arrived, which brings us to our third and final section of the passage. We saw the assignment and the fulfillment, now the arrival, starting at verse 6. The disciples come through, they find these animals. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. The crowd around them creates this makeshift red carpet that I mentioned earlier with their cloaks. And in other Gospels, we know that they tore branches off of trees and laid those down to create this royal roadway for Jesus. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And they're all shouting things in verse 9. It's just a loud, have you ever been a part of a loud crowd of people? but then you can kind of make out uh, like a chant, like you're at a ball game or something, and then like a chant forms from that roar of the crowd. That's kind of what was going on here, it sounds like. And the crowds that went before him, in front of Jesus, and followed him, behind Jesus, were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means save us now. It's what you might shout out if you were... um, Drowning in a pool and you're trying to get the lifeguard's attention save us now But it had probably become sort of like our word hallelujah Just a statement of praise To god and to in this case the messiah Son of david indicated his royal lineage lineage. They were clearly Welcoming jesus into jerusalem With him going with him celebrating him as the messiah As this long-awaited savior king and he doesn't shush them. He doesn't stop them. He doesn't correct them because it's true. They're right. By the time he enters Jerusalem, the whole city is shaken. But He hasn't even gotten there yet, and all of Jerusalem is shaken. All of these people who are coming for Passover, they are shaken. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, literally shaken up, saying, who is this? The answer from the crowd, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Where I want to land this Palm Sunday is just that same question, who is this? Just the clear reminder of who this is, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Jesus is not a moral example only. Jesus is not just our our personal therapist for our needs and emotional problems. Jesus is more than a get-out-of-hell-free card that you can keep in your back pocket. Jesus is more than just the American Savior of the American church. Jesus is more than the the ultimate Santa Claus figure bringing us all of our earthly desires. He is more than a magic eight-ball that we can go to for some life advice when necessary. He is not a vending machine in the sky that we go to and get what we want. And he is more than just even a good teacher. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the long-awaited Savior King, the Messiah, not just of the Jewish people, but of a people of all nations, all tribes, and all tongues. He just is the King. It doesn't matter whether everyone acknowledges that he is the king, knows that he is the king or not. He is the king of kings. We need to constantly be reminded of who he is because only by remembering who he is can we understand who we are. The best way to understand yourself is in relationship to Jesus Christ. We are always trying to understand who we are in relation to others. If you think about it, think about your whole trajectory of your life, you've always probably understood who you are in relationship to other people. As you've tried to figure out your identity, maybe when you were younger, you knew who you were in relation to who your parents were, or your peers, how they looked at you and how you related to them and where you fit into the social strata of your class. If you're married, you might understand who you are in relation to your spouse. Your parent may be in relation to your kids. Maybe it's in relation to your colleagues or peers. Maybe this is why social media is such a big deal. It's because we're trying to figure out who in the world we are. And so we keep projecting ourselves out there and bouncing ourselves off of other people to see. But we're meant to understand who we are in relation to the most important person in the history of history, Jesus Christ. Now, if he were just a moral example, then we would be people on a, a route of progression toward just cleaning up our act and becoming more morally clean. But he's more than that. If he were just a personal spiritual therapist, then we would be his spiritual patients just getting some comfort here and there as we need it. But he's more than that. If he was just a get-out-of-hell-free card, then we would just be free to ignore him and go about our lives knowing that we have him in our back pocket for when the time comes. But he's more than that. If he was just the American Savior, we would just be Americans living the American dream, and that's all we would be. But he's more than that. If he was just a good teacher, we would just be students, and we would learn some of his lessons and go on our way. But he's more than that. He is the king. And if he is the king, and if we're to understand ourselves in relationship to him as king, what are we? We're either his subjects, his citizens, submitted to his rule and authority, or we are rebels, rejecting and resisting his rule and authority. Because he is not just the king of a selective nation, he is the king of all kings, he is the lord of all lords, because he's going to return and make his full and comprehensive rule complete one day, those are really the only two categories of people. You're either citizens of his kingdom or you're outside of his kingdom. You're either submitted to his reign and rule as one of his loyal subjects, or you are a rebel, and you are the resistance. This passage reminds us that we are in this weird temporary period where the king has come, and he has come in a shockingly humble and meek way on a donkey, all the way down to dying for his people. But we know from the counsel of the rest of Scripture that he's going to return, and when he returns, he's not returning humble on a donkey. When he returns, he'll be on that white war horse. When he returns, all of his enemies will be fully and finally dealt with. And so we live in this window of opportunity. The king has come, and he has made a way for all the rebels, all the resistors to repent and be fully pardoned and welcomed into his kingdom. But that time window is closing with every day and one day he will return and it'll be too late after that. The Bible teaches that his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So for us here is to clarify who he is and to clarify who we are in relationship to him. If you are not his loyal subject meaning not just that you prayed a prayer at some point and got baptized at some point, but that you have submitted your life to him as your Lord and your King. Now is the time to do that. And if you have, now is the time to renew your allegiance to him and to clarify your identity in him. It's a great way to begin our celebration of Easter week, heading into Good Friday this Friday and then Easter Sunday a week from now. But I want to close now, and I just want to close with a time of prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for making a way for rebels like us to be pardoned and granted citizenship in his kingdom. And I pray for each person here that you would search our hearts and reveal to us where we stand with him. And that you would, through your Holy Spirit, empower us to live as his citizens. To live as citizens of his kingdom and not the kingdom of this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.